0: This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select at random, or based on the big anniversary-sounding number of the episode. Any book from my collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 200th episode of the Quarterbin podcast, we were looking at we are looking at the only issue 200 in the Quarterbin database, which is Iron Man 200 for Marvel Comics cover dated November 1985. And before we get to that, and before we get to feedback, I want to acknowledge the recent passing of Mike Voiles, who was the Mike behind the wonderful Mike's Amazing World website, which was the best friend to podcasters and bloggers back when we were all just getting started. Word is that the site will remain up and operational for a long time going forward. It's a great resource, and Mike was, by all accounts, a great guy. And he was one of us, as well, meaning, well, a podcaster. Over on the Two True Freaks Network, Mike put out 16 episodes of the show, Mike's Amazing World of DC History. Personally. My plan over my Christmas break is to give that show a good re-listen, and I recommend that you consider that as well. My intention is to include links to both the Mike's Amazing World website and also that podcast page on the blog post, the show notes, for this episode. Mike Voyles, R.I.P. Which brings us to a little feedback on the last two episodes, actually. Because last time I decided to forego feedback to do an analysis-slash-discussion of the types of comics we've covered here since episode 100. First up, a bit of feedback I missed regarding episode 197 and Mandrake. Billy D had a quick comment on that one. Hey, Prof. I've always been interested in this character, and most magic users, to be honest. I still haven't gotten around to reading much of Mandrake, but hopefully in the future I'll change that fact. Good show as always. Thank you, Billy. I know you recently covered some Zatanna over on Magazines and Monsters. Maybe that will be your entryway into those magical characters. Although, to be fair, Mandrake... Not as hot as tana. And at some point off in the distance, I hear Shag yelling at the top of his lungs about the hotness of Madame Xanadu. In episode 198, we covered Black Orchid. And first up, even before he had even listened to the episode, Sir, Sir Martin of Grey, responded to the question I asked in the write-up for the episode... What did he think of that logo? In answer to the question, I am not a fan of the Vertigo logo. The scratchiness of the second word is more suited to an Arkham Asylum project than a dark superhero. The Adventure Comics logo is the classic for the character, though I see that they would want something less showy or fun. But they've not nailed it. I get that, Mart, maybe they did swing the pendulum too far away from the Bronze Age logo, but I thought for an edgy, more serious book, especially with how confused she seemed in that first issue as well, about her new iteration, that the scratchy style logo worked for me. But when it comes right down to it, Mart is probably correct. On the actual content of the episode, he also had thoughts. You and Ange make a terrific team. I followed Ange's series on Black Orchid over at Supergirl Comic Box Commentary, and the show was a wonderful complement to that, as might be expected they were fine insights and comments aplenty. I remember buying this at the time and quite enjoyed it. That's quite in the British sense. As in, it was better than okay, but didn't knock my socks off. Making Black Orchid a plant person seemed a bit obvious. I'd rather she stayed mysterious. Now let me jump in here for a second. It's interesting, Mart, that both you and Ange prefer that original mystery woman character. And again, when you two agree, I assume that's probably the right answer. And yes, Ange is a great podcast guest. And... You should know, Martin, because you are a great podcast guest as well. And on the plant person choice, it's just, you know, DC was clearly moving in that direction after it worked so well for Swamp Thing. Martin continues, also, what profile the character had belonged to the original. I didn't appreciate her being killed off by page 8 or something and replaced by blank versions of the template. As for the actual story, it didn't engage me hugely. The art is pretty impressive. Dave McKeon does especially interesting color work, but I've never found his visuals the most useful storytelling tool. I never tried the ongoing. Have a fabulous day, Martin. Well, I hope you have a fabulous day as well, friend. And yes, I think it's very fair to say that McKeon's strengths as a comic book artist are on covers as opposed to uh, storytelling inside the book. Dr. Chuck from Bowling Green said it was a great book and then posted on Twitter the opening scene from the Brave and the Bold cartoon featuring Black Orchid that was referenced in that episode. And then on the last episode, the Legion reprints issue, we heard from Sir Dr. Ange on that one. Great coverage. The Legion is my second fave IP from DC, and I was one of the super bloggers covering a number of Legion runs. The green legs on the cover are definitely Ultra Boys, just based on the boots. My main comment is about the Tommy Tomorrow story. First off, Supergirl did indeed boot him out of action, and booted him pretty much out of comics, as you said, starting in issue 252, and she remained there for a long time. As for Tommy Tamara, I can never read his stories without remembering that Howard Chaikin made him a mega-fascist in his Twilight series. And Brent becomes a sort of virginal religious acolyte in that book. Lastly, I think a lot of acid was dropped back in the days. Alien fishermen cutting through the fabric of the universe? You know, Ange, I have read or heard interviews with some of those more creative uh, storytellers. And yes, some do admit to occasionally being enhanced when they wrote some of their stories, but many of the prolific guys we think of, especially the older gentlemen, claim to have been stone-cold sober when writing. Except for the booze, of course. But a booze habit was expected for... Writers through the 1950s, I think. And another Super Legion fan, Martin Gray, wrote in Hiya Alan. At last, it's the fabulous 199th issue of the quarter bin. You have me at Legion. Yes, I do agree that the Legion logo here is not great. It's far too busy, and the repeating letter forms over three lines make for dullness. Todd Klein covered this one in one of his fine logo studies and tells us it's by the rightly lauded Gaspar Saladino. Sadly, in this case, he gave us the awkward free-floating dash, reminiscent of the finger optical illusion from early 60s DC filler ad pages. Professor, you want an alternate name for dead triplicate girl? How about two-timer? And then, after giving us a laugh, Mart pulls out the knife. I do think you may be overthinking that Tommy Tomorrow story just slightly, maybe a teeny tiny bit, a smidgen, if I may be so bold. I read it when the issue came out. I was eight, and it was a fun, colorful diversion. Ange will put me right if I'm wrong. But an interesting historical note is that Tommy Tomorrow was Supergirl's very first guest star, which was nice given, as you noted, that she'd taken over his slot in action comics. Poor Tommy, but at least he had the better legs. (laughs) Have a top weekend, Mart. Thank you, sir. Although I am shocked, shocked, shocked that you would ever accuse me of overthinking A comic book story. Never. Or, actually, now that I think about it, always, I guess. So, yes, you are correct. (laughs) Mart also added that he loved the terrific Nick Cardi cover, a sentiment which bookworm underscore DE heartily agreed with. Social media love for that last pair of episodes came from The Charlton Hero, Ed from Teal Productions, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Evan Bevins from the Asterisk51 blog. Dan Sweet, Dave's Comics Heroes blog. Bill from the Batpod. Keith G. Baker. Clinton from Coffee and Comics. Jason C. Mac the Comics Monster. Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us. Karen from Between the Pages. James from Karen. And we are with you, Karen and James. Chris Lydon, 7. The Notorious J.J.G. Jeremiah. Matt McKeegan. Sir Luke Jack and Eddie, Vic and Phoenix, Derek William Crabb of the Fan Holes, Shane Kelly, The Mind of Scott X, R. Holmes, 0520, Sir Manuel Carmona of Truthful Comics, Sean Myers, Dr. Jennifer Swartz Levine, Ross from the Stop Let's Team Up podcast, Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit, Eddie from NYC, Corbino88, and longtime podcast supporter trevor owen williams all right time to take a break and when we come back it will be me in my regular predictable expected guest for an issue 200
1: Hi, my name is Mike, and I like comic books. Okay, so what do you think about Matt Affleck being Batman? No, I said I like comic books. That's a movie, and I couldn't care less. Well, it's a comic book movie. Really? Did you go see the magazine movie? Or do you watch the television book? I like comic books. You know, those things make for paper? Especially the old ones? Whoa, those things? Are they CGC 9.8? No, you're missing the point. I like to actually read comic books, especially the old ones. I like them so much I even build a website to tell other people about them. Does it have any information about uh, Avengers 2? No, it has info about actual comic books. Lots of covers, creator credits, character appearance lists, story synopsis notes, and so much more. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Where can I find it? It's at mikesamazingworld.com. Do I have to read anything? Reading makes my brain hurt. You can just look at the pictures if you want. Or, you can listen to my podcast, where I talk about the history of DC Comics, especially the old ones. So I can listen to a comic book podcast? It's a podcast about comic books. You can find it at twotruefreaks.com. What's it called? Mike's Amazing World of DC History. History? You mean like before Twitter? Yes, the world actually did exist long before Twitter. My show is for comic book fans, especially the old ones. So check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the website, and listen to Mike's Amazing World of DC History, the podcast, for information and fun related to actual comic books, especially the old ones.
0: and we're back and by we i don't mean myself and my collection of silver centurion sweatpants because this episode number is evenly divisible by 25 and by ironclad contract contract drawn up by the guest if i remember correctly but every 25 episodes we are joined by from back to the bins the producer mr paul spitaro esquire
2: not only does the contract require me to be on, but I do think it has a clause for a substantial payment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In fact, you know what? I'm going to do a little cross promotion. There's going to be an episode of Back to the Bin soon in which we're going to do two comics. One of which uh, was my last, most recent payment from Professor Allen. That's that's as much of a teaser as I'll give on that. That's true.
0: That's true. Well, welcome back. Always good to have you here. Um, Always
2: a pleasure to be here.
0: You know, I'm I'm starting to get bothered by this fact, but this streak of your appearances every 25, it started at episode 50. So I have daydreamed about editing you into episode 25. You're gonna join me. It's that OCD completionist slash also accounting mentality of mine that's 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 bad for the old OCD it's a bad combo so it's just not right that you weren't in episode 25 but I, th- I think between myself and AI we might be able to fix that
2: it really is not a right that I wasn't there <laughs> in fact without ever actually doing any work I should be in every episode Um, a sound bite that you throw into the introduction <laughs> every time
0: well, Shag is in a lot of the episodes simply because they're hot women in many of the issues, and of course, I need his commentary on that.
2: <laughs> if ever I'm as clever as Shag, which is unlikely, <laughs> then then I'll you know you'll get a soundbite from me that you could use that way. No
0: pressure. So um, this is episode 200, and It's sort of a mirror universe version of what we did with the epic, epic, epic episode 100 where we covered 100 issues in a series that took up all of the summer of 2018, I guess it was. So this time for 200, instead of looking at 200 issues, we're going to look at one issue, number 200. You see? It's pretty much the same thing, except the opposite.
2: I think that fits the symmetry and the OCD. I think we're good. Good. Of course, these days, Paul, I don't know about you, I don't
0: think they let comics get to issue 200 anymore, so this might be a dying breed.
2: Uh, (laughs) Well, we did that on Bins. We did uh, episode 500. We covered books that hit 500, and it was slim pickings. You got Dell four-color comics. (laughs) Well, you know, there is the BS way of counting where they started over at number one, but then when it comes up to a landmark number, they say, oh, yeah, by the way, this is number such and such. Yeah.
0: I was looking at a, on the DC side, I picked up their in a little previews magazine recently at my uh, LCS and flipping through it. And what I noticed was that there may have been five issues that were over 100, obviously action and detective. And that counts Looney Tunes. They were putting Looney Tunes and that was like, 300 and something maybe nightwing was in the and that was about it everything else was issue six issue 14 if if, if it got to 50 it's like whoa celebration
2: see it's funny because it used to be exactly the opposite yeah. when like in the 60s they wanted to have high counts to show oh look this is a stable book that's mm-hmm. been around mm-hmm. and you know you should you should want your children to read this i think that was more or less the mentality and then it'd just be, you know, the continuity became so cumbersome that it's like, oh, look, yes, yeah, Spider-Man's been around for 50, you know, six, 60 years now, but it's issue number one. You don't have to overate anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: I in, don't in like both it, cases, I don't like it. I would, well, I would rather they just continue with the numbers. Just, you know, let it be yeah. what it is.
0: Seems reasonable to me. Uh, now, we both know Luke Giaconetti is probably the biggest Iron Man fan we both know, but I'm curious where Iron Man ranks for you in terms of fandom and in terms of what you have in your collection.
2: I've always been a fan of Iron Man to some extent, and I, I was actually a little taken aback when they came out with the, with the movie. And they kept saying, oh, why are they putting this, you know, a B-list hero on this? <laughs> like, I, I always considered Iron Man to be one of the core Avengers, so I, I always thought he was an A-list yeah. hero. You know, that said, I did collect it actively when I started collecting. And then around the time that this came out, it was when I was kind of petering off of my comic collecting. Right. Uh, after they made Rody take over the armor and become Iron Man, I kept reading it for a while. And then... I don't even remember who was the artist at the time, but I was pretty unhappy with the caliber of the art in the issues. And I, it was one of those books where I kept buying it, but I wasn't really reading it.
1: Um, right.
2: You know, which is a waste. And I think I, I probably continued to purchase through this issue because it's in my collection and I don't think I ever had to go out and find it. I've talked in bins about in a way of, kind of keeping my collection under control volume-wise. I've put arbitrary numbers where I'm only collecting up to issue, you know, fill in the blank on each series. I think I set Iron Man at number 300 was the highest I was going. And so from issue one to 300, I'm only missing nine issues. Terrific. The only one that's going to be particularly difficult to find is issue number 55, which is the first appearance of Thanos. Oh, and that goes, for, that goes for what we call stupid money in the uh, economic field. <laughs> we Sorry.
0: are too smart to spend stupid money on that.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, even issue number one, which was not in my collection, and I did find it at what I thought was a reasonable price. It's a little, you know, worn. It's not, sure. you know, I mean, it's copy or anything. But I saw copies going for like over $1,000. Uh, yeah. And And I think I bought it for... I'm pretty sure I got it for under 100 That's not I don't the exact price. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, and, and it's, like I said, it's a little warm, but it's not, you know, the uh, trademark Scott, Scott Gardner WTS, uh, you know, <laughs> level of beat up.
0: It's you know weird because I wouldn't necessarily put Iron Man in, you know, top five or maybe not even top 10 characters, but it is by far the title that I have the most of in my collection. I have 199 issues. Including a clear run from 136 to 319. I don't have a lot of active, like fill in the collection goals, but I do try to fill in the earlier ones every now and then if I can get it, you know, reasonable prices. And I'm thinking, kind of like like you, for big round numbers, I'll probably eventually get rid of 301 to 319, just so it ends at 300, like like you said, and maybe try to fill in from. 125 up maybe even Mm. 100 up but that's that's a bit bit more because i think my collection starts at 136 and between 100 and 135 i think i have only have like six
2: issues i don't think there's anything in those numbers that would be extravagantly priced now knowing the show that i'm on i don't know that you're finding them for a quarter (laughs) but you might be able to find them for one or two dollars Yes. Yeah.
0: Those last few years, maybe it is a post-COVID thing. I don't know. But I do poke around the non-discount bins more than I used to, looking to, again, fill in some holes in that collection, especially kind of working like backwards. Like I've got 136 and I think I have like 133. So obviously if I get 134 and 135 for two, three, four bucks, grab those pretty quickly just to make that, uh, fill in those gaps. Man, and,
2: and, collection, there is a certain joy to having yes, a solid run.
0: Absolutely. You know, one of the reasons that I have all these Iron Mans, and maybe I should say why I still have these Iron Mans, is because way, way back in the summer of 1999, when I got the job I currently have here in Ohio, I sold a bunch of my comics, and it, it's easy to explain why. Moving vans charge by weight. And paper is really expensive, really heavy, <laughs> mm. and so, and and that was sort of in my in between phase of comics. I, mm-hmm. I came back to comics in the in in the aughts. I was on yeah, a bit of a lull. So, so the Green Lanterns All Star Squadron, John Sable, Rom, all of those got sold and went away. I probably put the Iron Man's up on eBay, and the reason I still have them is probably because they didn't sell.
2: I mean, that's... Maybe that, that supports the argument that he is a B-list character.
0: <laughs> there you go. Along with Firestorm and Green Arrow, we're, we're also the ones I noticed today. Probably have a hundred. Don't tell Shag. <laughs> you know, maybe I will tell Shag, just because.
2: <laughs> Firestorm, nobody wants to buy him. I tell you. To, kind of, to kind of touch on this yeah. one, I had never read this before. I thought I had, but I never had. Mm. I read it for today's shows. first time I ever read it. It's in my collection. It's been in my collection. But, you know, the number of books that are in my collection that I haven't read, that, far too that's many. That's the truth.
0: That, that is the truth. I have a vague recollection of having read this. Though it may be I have a vague recollection of seeing the first Iron Man movie. Spoilers. And there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure I went through the Obadiah Stain era because i really liked the business and corporate elements of that of that particular plot line which lasted quite a number of issues and i was a sucker for business stuff back when i was in high school and first couple of years of college when it, whenever that would have been it 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 really all uh, all appealed to me so i imagine i read up through the end of that at least through that so- storyline through this issue
2: so much like your average college college student, you were enamored with IPOs and IPAs.
0: Not bad. That is not bad.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to even say anything more. I think I'm just going to leave now. I'm going to drop the mic and go.
0: I may have to use that in the finance class every now and then. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Ironman 200 at a cover price of dollar twenty-five, meaning uh, its presence in the quarter bin represented a very nice 80% discount the cover by md bright and possibly inked by aiken and garvey shows iron man in his new silver and red outfit dwarfed by the bigger and badder form of Ironmonger. special double-sized 200th issue featuring the long-awaited clash with the man who stole stark international this is their final battle so uh what did he think of that cover wise
2: Cover-wise, I think it's very catchy. You know, I guess this this is the introduction of the Ironmonger, so it would almost be better if you had kind of seen, and I don't know, I didn't read the build-up to this, but if you had seen the armor developing over time and that Mm -hmm. was finally coming out, this would be like a big reveal, which it almost feels like that in the issue, so that may have been what occurred before this. I don't know. But I definitely think it's eye-catching, and, you know, if I was sitting around in 1985, and I had a, an extra dollar and a quarter in my pocket, I think I would plunk it down for this one.
0: Agreed. And have I never noticed that the eye in Iron Man in the logo looks like an eye beam for construction?
2: Well, I only noticed that as you said it. <laughs> so. yeah, I
0: just noticed that about uh, 48 hours ago, and huh, I wonder how long that had been the case how long it has been the case since. At this point, Luke is banging his head on his desk.
2: They're letting these
0: dummies talk about this? (laughs) The story, Resolutions, was written by Denny O'Neill, with art by the aforementioned bright Aiken and Garvey. And the story starts in the hospital. A doctor tells Tony that his friend Morley is dead. Stark walks away morosely, and sees Rhodey, Jim has felt better, but he's not complaining, he's alive. It's Morley's sister Clytemnestra who's not happy to see Tony, blaming him for her brother's death. Tony admits that he could have stopped Stane, but was afraid that it would lead him back to drinking again. He accepts responsibility for Morley's death and heads to LA to stop Obadiah Stane. Meanwhile, at his Long Island corporate base, which should make us all suspicious right away, Stane tells Bethany Kay that he chose to not kill Stark so his enemy could live in humiliation, which could maybe even drive him back to drinking. Bethany tells Stain she loves him, adores him as she once did Stark. At the HQ of the West Coast Avengers, Tony brushes off Hawkeye and heads straight to the lab. He finishes the the Mark Seven Silver Centurion armor and dons it, posing dramatically for a full page splash. He flies off, leading Hawkeye to mouth the editorial mandate for the issue. Something tells me we've just seen the rebirth of Iron Man. Stain and Bethany meet with Doctor Atlanta, who's refining his psyche imprint process. He experimented and earlier prototype on himself and he was sent to as Bethany says a mental hospital insane asylum stain corrects he then shows her the Ironmonger armor which is based on sketches in one of Tony's old notebooks he rambles on about selling it for more money than anyone has ever dreamt of or maybe building an army of them to take on any nation on earth Iron Man stealths himself into the main office Demands to see Stain face-to-face. Obadiah tries a circuit breaker on him, an attack that has no effect on his new armor. After this failure, Stain deploys missiles, then a thermal ray, and then he orders the chessmen to destroy Tony. And I would think he'd probably go in the other order if you were trying to build upward, but okay, no offense, chessmen. But, but he defeats them all, Stane accepts the inevitable, no one will rid me of him, no one, then I must do it myself. And in a two-page sequence that mirrors the earlier pages of Tony gearing up, we have Obadiah putting on the Ironmonger suit, at which point it is on. In their first battle, Ironmonger and Iron Man fight, Stark knocks out the building's safety devices. The whole place could blow sky high. And after some blasts, back and forth, the whole place blows sky high. Wasn't quite nuclear strength, but not far from it. Iron Man looks for Stain, but instead finds his friends and former employees, including Happy and Mrs. Zarbogast, imprisoned in test tube-like chambers. Stain says that if he tries to move them, he'll send 200,000 volts into them, four times the necessary voltage to kill them. Just in case Tony was unaware. Tony must stay absolutely still to avoid that. So he has a choice move and kill his friends, or remain still and slowly starve himself to death. While Stane drinks to Tony's health and bids him a fond farewell, Iron Man blasts through a wall and severs the cable, feeding the electricity, thus ending the ploy. He frees everyone and goes to fight Stain again, and they meet in midair, and Stain has sunk to a new low, threatening to kill a baby. Iron Man fires downward, destroying the computer that was controlling the iron monger armor. Stain's armor freezes. He plummets, Tony saves the child, and then in a final few pages of drama, Stain realizes that he has been defeated and mirroring his father's demise. He places a palm to his forehead, fires a repulsor blast, and kills himself. The end, and holy smokes, Paul, that was a dramatic little ending.
2: That was, absolutely. It's hard to see somebody recovering from that, but does he? (laughs) You know, I should have checked. Luke, write in and tell us. You know, in real life, it's okay if you've seen the body; you know they're dead. But in comics, even that doesn't mean anything. Could turn into a clone or something. I
0: imagine, since earlier in the issue they sort of tease this idea of moving your psyche from body to body, they have laid the groundwork for him to to return in a new and improved body.
2: Yeah, it's, it's definitely there if they want to reuse the character. They, they can always yeah. find a way. Uh, but I, yeah, I enjoyed this one. I, I thought it was, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of connections to the movie that we eventually got. But it was, you know, it was a lot of it was played cinematically through the book. The biggest thing, though, that jumped to, to mind for me is Stain is very, very much Lex Luthor in this, you know, in appearance and, and in behavior.
0: Right. In, including, you know, getting in a power suit. Yeah. You know, which, which, which Luther does, but he certainly got, you know, it's it's, it's the businessman side. And I, I really like that that element of again this plot line, which must I don't know, 10, 20 issues building up to to Stark losing the company. And there's a to me very memorable cover of I probably should have looked it up and seen what issue it was, of the the logo sign changing. At the, yeah the the sign change the R and K coming down with an N and E in its place. I thought well, either somebody really thought ahead on that <laughs> to name him that, or uh, had that in from the beginning, or figured out we could do something memorable with that
2: thought the story was well played. I thought it, it went, you know, it, it progressed well. Uh, I too, I do agree with your point though that he, he kind of sent the weaker obstacles after the stronger <laughs> ones, which made no sense. You think you'd at least start the other way and build up as you went along. Uh, but that aside, the whole ploy of, you know, if you move, I'm going to kill your friends and he has to figure out a way to get out right. of that. Uh, you know, just, just a lot of the different build-ups here that are going on. Then, you know, the the dramatic mirroring of Stain putting on the armor, and then the two of them yeah. facing off in a battle. You know, ultimately, his winning the battle, you know, really more through his brains than his brawn. Right, uh, right. You know, so I, I like that, too. And then the very, yeah, very was, dramatic it, ending with Stane taking his own life.
0: Tony had noted a couple times weird vibrations or weird communications that he was picking up somewhere and that's how he deduced that there was this uh, computer on in inside the building that was guiding or certainly helping uh,
2: obadiah i thought the artwork was pretty good throughout it as well uh the only point that really stood out to me uh as being just i don't know it bothered me a little it's the sequence with the baby you mm-hmm. know obadiah is holding the baby and, on page 37 and it's all fine then on page 39 after Tony catches the baby somehow uh, when, when you see the baby in the swaddled cloth <laughs> he, he becomes he becomes an, a full a, a fully uh, grown adult in a baby's body because the face is not a baby's face
0: also looks like he grew some hair on the way down.
2: That's probably a coloring mistake. That's probably supposed to be the blanket yeah, all you know, think. hanging over yeah. the baby's head. In which case, then the baby yeah. would not look like an adult. But with, <laughs> with that colored as hair, it, it's it's like an adult face on a <laughs> on a baby body. That, that was one thing. Like as i was reading it, it just stood out, and I was like, "Wow, did I like the author in this book?" And I had to go back and look. No, no, I do like the art in this book. But that one that one Ooh. panel pulled me out of it for a minute
0: what do you think of this the new color scheme in the armor the the silver and red as opposed to golden red
2: i was just going to comment on the armor i i prefer the golden red yeah. because it's just a look i'm more familiar yeah. with and it's funny because i've criticized in past reviews sometimes the armor looking too form-fitting to the point where like how much armor could you have on if it's that you know skin tight right. kind of thing and yet I never like when they present the armor as being too bulky and I feel like here it becomes more bulky. In other words, what I'm saying is no matter how they draw the armor, I'm gonna have problems.
0: <laughs> I mean it's a it, it is tough to do right in, in that sense. You have really two competing interests. They're not, not so form filling, but not bulky. and And
2: it's because I want a dramatic appearing armor that looks like what I want it to look like and yet I also want it to make make sense to me that the body would fit in there fine and be protected you know sometimes they show the you know like the legs and the arms as being some sort of like a polymer that you know is basically almost like material but made of metal and whatever and then when they show him like in a battle and that's ripped open it's like well why didn't his arm just rip off then if you're going to rip open that metal, <laughs> you know, how did the skin underneath it survive? I hold a piece of paper wrong and I cut my fingers. Not sure my ligaments
0: and joints are stronger than uh, titanium. So if that's going to get ripped off, I think what's underneath might as well. Exactly.
2: I didn't know that Bethany turned against Tony.
0: I read in the notes that uh, it's not clear in this issue... But that's actually Madame Mask's consciousness that's in Bethany's body and vice versa. Oh. So again, part of that personality switching, the folks in the test tubes, that sort of thing. So that's it was not clear just from just from this issue, though. Although it does seem to be a bit of a mix of, of Bethany and maybe Madame Mask. But
2: I guess that story will come to a head in the issues to come.
0: To me, is actually some pretty strong uh, scripting because you obviously have a dramatic ending here at 200 mm-hmm. in terms of the stain storyline to say nothing of stain himself but then you also have these threads you know that's the secret of of comic books is weaving in those a in the b and the c plots and these b plots will i imagine become the a plots down the road and you know keeping that soap operatic nature uh, rolling
2: it was one of the strengths of the burn clam out run was that they yeah. were always giving you seeds for what was to come now in this again. And, and I, I need to go back and, and read some of this run that I've missed out on, but okay. So now you're having Tony coming back into the armor. He's got his psychological issues with the fear that he's going to, you know, start drinking again because of the pressure of, being Iron Man, So that's a factor that's going to continue from here. Or at least it should. You have him retaking the business, which is obviously going to right. be a big thing. And then you have his friends who, you know, either have lost someone or were held captive themselves. So you have, you know, some psychological stuff there. And then you have the Bethany Cave thing. So I'll give Denny O'Neill credit for seeding this story right. that concludes a storyline with a lot of things to resolve
0: exactly agreed on the the armor uh the costume i'm, I'm not always a big fan of characters regularly changing uh, their outfits but since this is a piece of technology i have much less of a problem with you know tony regularly updating and coming up with with new versions whether that's in, include some new a, a new color scheme that's okay with me too my phone gets the same treatment every couple of years
2: it, it's funny you know as as we get older and older if you look back to when we were much younger and i'm you know i'll, I'll li- limit it now to stereo equipment mm-hmm. you know it used to be you had basically you had vinyl you had cassette decks and you had eight tracks and radio that was it that's what you had Then they came out with CDs and that was a whole big, you know, wow, look, we, you know, look how we've advanced. And you thought, okay, that, you know, now we're now we're there. We've we've reached the pinnacle of what we're gonna get to. Then at some point, everything just exploded. Those things that we grew up with seemed to be in place for a very, very long time. But now I'm like fearful at upgrading my systems at home in thoughts that, you know, a year later they're gonna come up with something new. Right. You know, you, you can't rely on the, oh, this is going to be the, the, the state of the art, you know, for the next 15 to 20 years anymore, which you used to be able to. So yeah, yeah. with that as, as a thought process, you know, Tony should be having a new armor at least every few months. You yeah.
0: know, yeah, you're talking about stereo equipment. I, 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 I just remember growing up in the 70s and the goal there was everything was getting bigger and bigger and bigger bigger woofers and subwoofers and multiple speakers and all this and now of course everything is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and you certainly lose some sound quality the uh, the the audiophiles musicians who are a little bit older than us you know complain that you just don't get sound quality out of those little things but even if you think about things like the uh, in 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 science fiction The only way we could visualize advancement was larger and larger and larger. And in essence, that's what the Death Star is, right? It's a planet. It's a moon-sized ship, right? Or, you know, cities that were all computers or all artificial. And now, of course, you know, the smallest drop of, you know, uranium or some nuclear uh, material is more deadly than the largest uh, weapon we could conceive of.
2: Well, and I don't know, you know, the reality of it, but they talk about, you know, that, uh, you know, the ship that went to the moon in 1969 having right. less computer computer power to it than, you know, the average cell phone out there now. Right. I don't know if right. that's reality yeah. or if it's just an apocryphal thing that people came up with to sound clever. But it sounds clever to me, so I'm going to accept yeah. it as fact.
0: <laughs> and I would also guess that the individuals inside that spaceship. Uh, had a lot more brain power than the average user of a cell phone today.
2: I think that one almost goes without saying.
0: (laughs) In talking about the, again, that business corporate uh, uh, subplot, you know, it's one of those things that the more you know about something, for me, it is the business stuff, also sports, uh, and then religious and church stuff for me, you know, when that stuff has gotten wrong or is clearly like lazily written, It sort of bumps me. I mean, it bumps me a lot. Um, But I don't recall that happening in this Iron Man run. i just throw it out to you. Whether it's Daredevil or She-Hulk or whoever, are there courtroom or legal presentations in pop culture that are either so absurd you just can't take the product seriously or that are actually pretty good? Does anything, anything come to mind?
2: Well, I I find that legal expertise in pop culture, and I'm trying to think of like a real solid example, and I'm not coming up with anything to give you right now, but legal expertise in pop culture strikes me as very, very similar to medical or scientific expertise Mm -hmm. in comic books. You know, somebody's uh, got a a PhD in physics, but they're capable of doing medical things they're capable of doing you know just just anything that would you'd call somebody doctor for they're capable of handling right and I do find yeah. that in pop culture that that's the same with legal because you know my experience with legal has been you do have general practitioners out there but the general practitioners are exactly that and when something becomes a little too complex they'll send it off to somebody who specializes in that field right. and I find that they don't do that and I would imagine in pop culture at least you know my wife and i have watched a lot of the uh we've, we've binged of late a lot of the old uh primetime soap operas and oh you know somebody so and so takes over the business from so and so you know jr ewing takes over the business from his brother who had taken it over from him and it all the transaction is all just signing one piece of paper you don't even have a witness there you just sign a piece of paper and it's okay now i have the business again it's like no It's not that simple. You're going to have to have all sorts of legal documents and you're going to have to have filings and you're going to have to have everything done. You know, you you can't buy a house without having a million documents filed.
0: I was going to say, it takes an hour to buy a car. (laughs) You can't buy a multi-trillion dollar business in 15 seconds because you scrawled your initial in the back of a napkin, often under duress or Mm -hmm. under some level of being uh, uh, deceived being tricked in some way. Not quite the way it happens.
2: Absolutely not. And so I do understand and give a concession to all of those fields, oversimplifying it just to move the story along. Because if you're gonna show all the machinations that go into a transaction of that nature, or all the paperwork that has to be filed for a lawsuit, or all the testing that has to be done for a medical procedure, or you know, whatever yeah. area you want to p- pose to point to it gets a little boring you know it's it's just not going to be that's, that's not that's not why you're reading it I, you know i've read c- quite a few of michael creighton's books and mm-hmm. some of them are fascinating to read and some of them it's like you know you're really getting into the detail a little too much there michael let's yeah. let's yeah. move on and get a little drama in this book you know yeah. i i understand that you have to balance things
0: yeah it's it's the curse of knowing just a little bit too much about the specific area that they're that they're talking about
2: yeah because when we were you know 12 and reading these we didn't care right oh, you took over the business right. that's good let's let's move on let's see them punch <laughs> them, punch each other in the head I I do tell my students
0: the phrase corporate takeover it sounds so cool it's so dramatic it feels like you go in with machine guns and you you know move the board members out and you hold them hostage and you take over the company that way no not quite the way it works actually it usually has to involve like you said a few lawyers and some stock certificates and sec regulations and but i I think sometimes we get suckered in by hostile takeover that just sounds so cool i I can can envision what that (laughs) is but no not not nearly as exciting as it sounds Well, other than continuing to grumble and gripe, which I I gotta say we're pretty good at. Other general thoughts about this uh, issue, you want to make sure you get in. Well,
2: just you know what I think it is much like you're having me on this episode. It is worthy of a dramatic numbered episode. Uh, I think the storyline warrants being in, in, a, in a special anniversary issue. And I do think there was a point with some of these comics where they got a little overzealous with their marketing. You know, it's, it's an anniversary issue. It's number 75. We're going to do it for every 25. And that's fine for the quarter bin podcast, <laughs> but not for a comic book. Let's, uh, let's yeah, only exactly. go with the one for zeros at the end. I was uh, just
0: uh, thinking back on our past, you know, uh, combinations here, and I got to be honest. Episode one twenty-five, you really didn't bring it. I mean, it was, it was, you were okay, but today you were worthy of two hundred. I just want you to know that.
2: I don't think there's ever been a point <laughs> I didn't bring it. I just, <laughs> just may not have put really it
0: out. Oh, whoa, no. Just, just depends what it is. I mean, here we are. I mean, you know how these end. Um, This is the whole thing, you know, one verdict, pass or fail. None of that silly letter grading that some podcasts do. So (laughs) just one question, is Iron Man 200 worth
2: a quarter? Iron Man 200 is worth a dollar and a quarter. If it's there for a quarter, I'm buying five of them and giving four to friends.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That
2: presupposes that I have four friends. Which, you know, maybe be well, playing with
0: reality. I mean, you could send two to Tyler and two to me. We could sort maybe of you be know. your four friends. Okay.
2: You'll, you'll at least say you're my friends
0: <laughs> for free comics. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if, if it involves free comics, I, 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 I'm willing to be your friend. The verdict <laughs> on impressed. Iron Man 200, yes. The events matter to the character, to the title, the ending. Very dramatic. This wraps up a big plot line. Like you said, leaves enough interesting dangling bits for future stories. So this is definitely a quarter bin deal. Thank you, Paul. Tell our lovely listeners all the podcasts that they can tune in to hear more of your uh, dulcet tones.
2: Currently, I have two active podcasts. I am on Back to the Bins, which publishes weekly, and it is uh, a look back on old comics. And Professor Allen has been on more than a handful of times. So if you mm-hmm. like this show, you probably like that show. I also do Is It Yours, which is movie reviews. That comes out every other week. And we do old movies, new movies, things that aren't even movies. Currently, we're putting together our Christmas schedule in which we're going to do two Christmas specials. So I think they're both fun podcasts. They're fun to record. Hopefully, they're fun to listen to as well. Thanks for coming by. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Always a pleasure to be on. Thank you for inviting me. And congratulations on 200 episodes. Uh, They don't come easy. They are a labor of love, but they all work.
0: Thank you. And that does wrap up our coverage of Iron Man 200, bringing episode 200 to a close. Next episode, we are going old school with some reprints from the 1940s in the Green Hornet Golden Age Remastered, number six from Dynamite from 2010. If you have any questions or comments about these issues or the episode, business and finance and comics, exactly how does Paul keep getting invited to the show? Feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. The song that plays in this episode is Embrace by Sephiros, which I downloaded from free-stock-music.com and I'm including in this episode via a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 unported license. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. So either for the show or not for the show, the the TV guys, have you come up with something to do now that the prisoner is done, or is that one you're waiting for uh, inspiration? Or
2: well, I think we all needed some time to refuel the tank a little bit because of the different time zones. We record yeah. early on Saturday mornings. Uh, and we've talked about doing some recordings that will either be on Back to the Bins, Is It Yours, or The Palace of Glittering the Delights. Right, uh, right, But in the meanwhile, you know, we'll consider other possibilities. We've talked about doing just just a general TV show podcast where we just pick episodes of shows nice. and, and record about them and, you know, just move nice. on. Nothing, nothing uh, you know, where we'd be doing a sort of indexing of a particular series.
0: If I were to pitch you back to the boob tube, you'd have to have me on if you took that name. So anyway, just throwing that out to
2: you. We we, we actually recorded, for what it's worth, we recorded about six episodes a few years ago. I think we called it the boob tubers. Uh, <laughs> and it was supposed to be that the premise was supposed to be like Quantum Leap, where we were. Jumping from one TV show to another, and we had done the Night Gal, uh, not the, the Night Stalker. We had done an right. episode of the Twilight Zone. We had done an episode of the Flash TV series, and we were just, you know, we were just jumping from show to show. And I believe all those recordings are lost to posterity. Uh, otherwise, I would, <laughs> if I found them, I would, I would edit them and put them on. And, uh, is it yours? Uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see where we go.
0: I mean, because between bins. And is it Jaws and the TV podcast? You, you you were responsible for two episodes a week, pretty regularly. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a heavy burden for someone who supposedly has a job. And is old. Not a bad Thanksgiving, and you?
2: Yeah, I would say the same for me. Fan,
0: family family come to
2: you? Yes. And I was doing my share of the cooking, you know. We pretty much split it my wife and i i I, mean, I don't like everything
0: about being my age but one thing is uh i can expect people to come to me to for, for traveling i don't have to go to them that's the young person's game one of,
2: one of the things that i don't like about my age which is not that much further along <laughs> than yours is that as i'm getting further aged I'm finding that driving at night, especially in bad weather, is oh, starting God. to become an issue. If the, if it's not raining, me, out, it's becoming very, very hard to see those lines on the road. I had some eye
0: issues and surgeries and things a little while back. And since then, I'm yeah, not, not comfortable doing that. I've not been on Facebook, and I know you're not on Twitter. So I, But I imagine this news is out, but if you heard that Mike's Amazing World. Uh, Mike Boyles passed away I
2: heard rumors that people thought he might have but I had not heard confirmation it seemed to be on the site do you know how old Mike was? I do not me neither, I always got the impression he was younger than us though, that may not be true but I always got that impression he certainly loved the old comic books
0: so that would maybe skew him older but he was also really good with technology which might skew him a little younger
2: (laughs) yeah uh, you know, we had him on the show a couple of times. Real nice guy. Yeah, it's very very sad.